Uh, I probably should have said before, uh, when I got up to read the passage, that uh, if you don't know who I am, my name's Ian, I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, it's a great privilege to have you with us this evening. Well, let's ha- have a, a look at that passage, shall we? Psalm uh, 32. Sin. Whoever you are, it is a big problem, isn't it? Whoever we are. What is sin? Well, uh, there's many ways that we might think about it, that we might seek to uh, explain it, define it, but really at its heart, it is rebellion against our Creator. That's what sin is. It is refusal to admit that He is God and we are not, and to live accordingly. Sin is to do what we should not and to not do what we should. That's at the heart of what sin is. And it is a problem that affects every single one of us, regardless of who we are. Regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, regardless of our ethnicity or our socio-economic background, whoever we are this evening, it is a problem for each and every one of us. We are all affected by sin, and that includes Christians. Now, let's be clear. uh, We are affected differently if we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, because from that moment when we put our hope in him, the curse of sin, the power of sin was broken. When we put our trust in him, we were cleansed by his blood, shed at the cross, In that moment, a great exchange took place. As Phil's already spoken of, his righteousness became ours. His perfect life was counted to us. And our sin, the burden of our sin, was placed on his shoulders. And so when God looks on us now, we are clean, forgiven, cleansed of our sin. The power of sin is broken for a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, until that day when he returns, and we have our glorious resurrection bodies, until that day, a war rages within us, does it not? Every day is a battle between the spirit and between our sinful flesh. That is what it is. To follow Jesus. And sin continues to be a problem for us. Uh, The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, uh, speaks about it like this. He says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And so he goes on to say, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body that is subject to death? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you felt like that this week. 
that feeling of wanting to do what is right. That feeling of wanting to do what you know is good. That feeling of not wanting to do that thing that you hate and yet, and yet you just don't seem to be able to help yourself. Somehow you always find yourself back in the same place. Well, if you have felt that way, then you will know that it feels utterly dreadful, doesn't it? It is one of the most miserable feelings on earth. And so with Paul we cry, wretched man that I am. Last week we were in Psalm 1 and we saw how blessed, how glorious, how happy and joyful it is to walk in the way of the righteous. But what about those times when we don't? What about when we stumble and we fall? In that moment, have we blown our shot at happiness? Well, no. Not according to Psalm 32. You see, Psalm 32 is another psalm that starts with the phrase, blessed is. And it is another psalm that presents us with two ways to live. That is why I've entitled the sermon this evening, Two Ways to Live, Part 2. We thought about uh, last week in, in Psalm 1. Uh, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And we saw the, the joy, the happiness, the blessing that comes with walking in God's ways. But this week we have another set of ways set before us. The way of those who try to hide their sin, to conceal it, and the way of those who confess it. And as we will see, only one of them leads to happiness and joy and blessing. So who are the blessed? Who are these happy people according to Psalm 32? Well, uh, if you've uh, closed your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up again and look at Psalm 32, which begins with these words. Blessed, happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Uh, in Psalm 32, as we'll see time and again this evening, uh, David emphasises important things, key ideas, by repeating them three times using different words, different phrases, but the same idea uh, threefold. And we have that here, don't we? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose Sin, according to my translation, which is a little bit unfortunate because it is actually a different word in the original language. I think maybe in the Pew Bibles it might be iniquity or guilt, um, which is kind of tricky, isn't it, right? Iniquity, I don't think anyone's used that word in common parlance since about 1734, but, but, but it is a different word in the original and it's a, it is the, for the same idea. The one whose guilt, whose iniquity the Lord does not count against them. That is where happiness is to be found. Psalm 1, we saw that happiness, blessedness is found in walking in the way of the righteous. But Psalm 32, we see another way. Happiness found in forgiveness of sin. Why is happiness found in the forgiveness of sin? Well, well we might expect David to jump straight to something like we saw in Psalm 1 last week. Because those whose sins are forgiven will stand in the judgment. That's what we might expect him to point to. And of course that is true, isn't it? 
Uh, if you are here this evening and you are not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who, who are can testify to you of a time in our lives when we first came to him, weighed down by the burden of our sin and our rebellion against God, and we laid it at the foot of the cross and we knew the joy, the happiness, the blessedness of sin forgiven. We knew in that moment that on that last day we would stand in the judgment and be forgiven of all our wrongdoing. That is a wonderful thing, a joyful thing. But interestingly, that is not where David goes, first and foremost, in this psalm. Look down at verse 3. Why is the person whose sins are forgiven happy? Because to bear them is agony. To bear them is agony. When I kept silent, said David, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I don't think this is David pre-conversion any more than I think what uh, Paul was saying in Romans 7 is his experience pre-conversion. I think this is the experience of David as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he refused to come to the Lord and confess his sin. How does it feel to try to conceal your sin, to try and hide it away and keep it secret? It feels awful. Like bones, our bones are wasting away as we groan through the day. We feel night and day the heavy hand of the Lord upon us. We feel our strength sapped like someone who's walking through a desert wilderness in the midday heat with no water to quench their thirst. That's how it feels to bear the weight of our sin. Now that may be uh, a metaphor uh, for, for how it feels emotionally, spiritually to bear the weight of our sin. But we should also bear in mind that sometimes we might feel this way because as a result of our unconfessed sin, the Lord afflicts us with real physical pain and illness. Uh, just look forward to uh, 1 Corinthians in the New Testament and chapter 11. Uh, Paul is writing here to the church in Corinth and he is rebuking them because they have been sinning in the way that they have been treating the Lord's Supper as they come together. This is really remarkable, these words. At 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let me just read from verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, how does that manifest itself? Well, look at verse 30. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That is Pauline shorthand for Christians who've died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves we would not come under such judgment. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Sometimes if we seek to hide our sin, 
if we lie to ourselves about its seriousness, if we're unwilling to bring it before the Lord and confess it to him, not only may we feel the, the emotional and the spiritual anguish of that, we may even become physically ill because of it. Why? Well, look at how Paul finishes this section in, in verse 23. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with this world. Now, that is not to say that every time we get sick or ill, it is a direct one-to-one -one correspondence to some unconfessed sin, but it is a possibility. And amazingly, according to Paul, strange as it may seem, that kind of sickness is actually a gift of God. It is a gift of God to show us our sin and to drive us back to him. For what? Well, we'll come to that in just a moment. But firstly, let me address uh, those of you here this evening who might have something in your minds right now. You might be thinking, well, okay, but what if I don't feel like that? What if I don't feel that anguish? What if I don't feel that guilt? Maybe I did at one time, but, but what if I don't now? Maybe you know that you've been living in ways that God forbids, but you don't feel any kind of guilt or emotional pain for that. Well, let me say, if that is you this evening, you should be worried. You should be worried. Because to sin without guilt is a sign of God's judgment. The Bible calls it having a seared conscience or a hardened heart. And it is a sign that ultimately you will face the judgment of God and his wrath. This is why, friends, isn't it? That whether something feels right to us or not is a terrible indicator of whether it is a good thing for us to do. The number of times I've had conversations with people and they've said, I... I know what the Bible says, but it just feels so right. That should really cause you to worry. So what do we do if we're in that situation? Pray for the mercy of God. Cry out to him to show you your sin so that you may feel it for what it really is and be brought back to him. Brought back to him for what? Well, look at how verse 5 continues back in Psalm 31. David, having felt the crushing weight, the crushing burden of his sin, then turns and says this. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. After the agony of trying to conceal his sin, David confesses. And do you see here again a, a threefold emphasis? He acknowledges his sin to God. He does not cover up his iniquity. They liked it this time in the translation. He will confess his transgressions to the Lord. And when he does, what is the result? You forgave the guilt of my sin. What beautiful words. What a weight off. What life-restoring words those are. 
What a renewal of strength. What blessing. What happiness. What joy to be able to say, you forgave the guilt of my sin. And therefore, David calls on others to do likewise. Look at, at how, what he says in verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely, the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Another threefold emphasis, but this time on the protection that those who confess their sins to God know and feel. What a transformation. And all because of a switch from concealing his sin to confessing his sin. How does this work? Is this some kind of weird magical formula whereby we, we tell God what we've done wrong and then suddenly it's as if the sin just disappears? Well, no. No, it is not the act of confession in itself that brings about the forgiveness of sin. It is an act of confession as an expression of faith. And we see that um, in, in that passage that Phil read earlier from 1 John chapter 1. You can turn to it if you want. Don't feel you have to. We've done a bit of flicking about. Let me just read you a couple of, uh, of verses from that section. If we claim to be without sin, We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But back in verse 7, there is something behind that confession that is assumed within it and it is this. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That is what sits behind the confession. You see, this confession that David speaks of is not just saying sorry and God goes, oh, it's okay, don't worry, forget about it, it's not a big deal. No. No, if you were here this morning, you'll know that that is not how it works. God's love requires action. When he beholds sin, it is just and right that he condemns it and punishes it. He cannot just ignore it. But our confidence is that he condemns it and punishes it at the cross. When we confess our sin to him, we express our confidence in the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from every sin. This confession is a confession that assumes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me say to you this evening, are you labouring under the burden of your sin? Are you feeling the weight of it, spiritually, emotionally, maybe physically? The question for each and every one of us this evening is, will you confess it to the Lord? Will you come to him and unload your burden before him? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a while. And if not, why not? What is stopping you? Is it your pride? Is it fear? Is it guilt? Perhaps for some of us it's even busyness that stops us 
because we've crammed our lives so full of things that we never get a moment to stop and reflect and think and pray. Listen to God's instruction to us from verse 8 of Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. What does the Lord say? Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. What's the point he's making there? Bottom line, don't be a donkey. Don't be a donkey. Uh, Donkeys are not dogs, are they? Uh, I'm not really a dog person, but I know enough people who are to know how it works. If you have a dog and you have trained it well, when you call that dog, it comes like that, doesn't it? That's what a well-trained dog will do. Donkeys are not dogs. You can call a donkey for as long as you like, and it is going nowhere. If you want a donkey to come to you, you've got to stick some unpleasant thing in its mouth and pull it along. That's what will cause a donkey to come to you. They have to be compelled to come. Friends, don't make God compel you to come. Don't bring that agony on yourself by refusing to confess your sins. Verse 10 says, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. So don't be a donkey. Come when your master calls. Why? Because confession leads to forgiveness. And forgiveness leads to blessing and happiness and joy. The psalm begins by telling us as much and it concludes with words that are fitting for someone who has experienced that blessing. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous those who have the righteousness of Christ. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Friends, I know how it feels. In preparation to preach on this this week, I feel less like I've prepared this psalm and more like I've lived it, if I'm honest. Hiding our sins may seem like the easy option, but it will rot your bones and sap your life. And that is a fact. No, it is those who confess their sins to God, who know the joy of sin forgiven. So come to him today, confess your sin, and rejoice in the blessing that you receive. I'm going to give us a moment of quiet now. Maybe there is something in your life that you know isn't right, and yet you've just been pretending like it's okay. You've been hiding from the truth and trying to hide it from the Lord. I'm going to give us a moment of quiet to confess that to him now. And then I'm going to read a prayer, which is an old prayer, which means it's got some funny language in it. But I think it's a great prayer and it will help us to confess our sin to him. Let's just have a moment of quiet.
Eternal Father, you are good beyond all thought, but I am vile, wretched, miserable, blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to you, break it, wound it, bend it, mould it. Unmask to me my sin's deformity, that I may hate it, abhor it, flee from it. My faculties have been a weapon of revolt against you. As a rebel, I have misused my strength and served the foul adversary of your kingdom. Give me grace to bewail my insensate folly. Grant me to know that the way of transgressors is hard, that evil paths are wretched paths, that to depart from you is to lose all good. I have seen the purity and beauty of your perfect law, the happiness of those in whose heart it reigns, the calm dignity of the walk to which it calls, and yet I daily violate and contemn its precepts. Thy loving spirit strives within me, brings me scripture warnings, speaks in startling providences, allures by secret whispers, and yet I choose devices and desires to my own hurt, impiously resent, grieve, and provoke him to abandon me. Lord, all these sins I mourn, lament, and for them cry pardon. Work in me more profound and abiding repentance. Give me the fullness of a godly grief that trembles and fears, yet ever trusts and loves, which is ever powerful and ever confident. And grant that through the tears of repentance, I may see more clearly the brightness and the glories of the saving cross. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing.